Hi, and welcome back. I have an exciting episode in store for you today, as always. And I have a bit of a celebrity who is actually having the conversation with me today. Um, For most of you listening, this is going to come as no surprise, but I love words. Dare I say I am obsessed with words. It started when I was really little and I could first read. Like five seconds after I learned to read, I basically became like a book hoover and devoured as many books as humanly possible. Uh, My grandmother would buy me like series upon series trying to satiate my appetite. And I don't think it really mattered like what words they were because I used to always steal my parents' books and read those too when I ran out. Um, I also remember when my mom was taking a medical terminology course. I don't know. I must have been like five or six years old. I was sitting on the counter and quizzing her on her terms, helping her to learn the difference between hypothermia, hypoglycemia, and all the other hyponias. Um, And as a bonus, I got to learn the words too, which is like quite possibly part of the reason that I became fascinated in nutrition labels down the road and studied health education in college. Unfortunately, I did not study words in college. That would have been the smart choice. Um, But anyway, since the very first newspaper that I hand wrote and hand delivered to my neighborhood when I was like six years old until now, I have always loved connecting people through the written word. And my husband can probably attest to this, but I also love the spoken word, uh, hence why I have this podcast. But seriously, like if you gave me the choice in school to take a test or write a 10-page paper, I would take the 10-page paper. Um, I still, to this day, have a deep love for like a good old-fashioned five-paragraph essay, and I get more satisfaction from Wordle and crossword puzzles than I think should be legal. All of this is how I got hooked on the Grammar Girl podcast. In fact, I can't even for the life of me remember like the first episode uh, or how I discovered Mignon Fogarty, the host of the podcast. Someone must have shared a link to one of her episodes with me. Anyway, then I called into her show because I had a curiosity question of my own on grammar. I wanted to know whether or not it was Barry the Lead, L-E-A-D, or Barry the Lead, L-E-D-E, because I find information both ways and I just wanted to know which one was right. So here's what I love about the Grammar Girl podcast. Uh, Number one, Mignon Fogarty, the host, also my guest today, is as curious about words as me and as so many of you listening. And she dives into topics around grammar, word origination, and all of the little quirks and weird eccentricities of English that make our language so flavorful and so fun. I also love that her episodes are short and sweet, and you always walk away having learned something new. Today, I learned about parallelism in our writing and why it's so important. I also love that Mignon has a great format. It's really organized, concise, and it's jam-packed. So if you are looking to start a podcast or you just love hearing about uh, different formats in podcasting for whatever other random reason, um, I highly suggest her show as a great example of a format that is like um, just a really smooth template. Anyway, I think you're going to love the perspective that Mignon brings to today's conversation because today's episode is all about curiosity writing, grammar, 
entrepreneurship, pivoting in life when it calls for it, um, content creation from a very prolific content creator herself, not giving up and more. And right before we dive into the episode, I just want to share for all the newcomers real quick who I am because I realized last week when I had Karen Kenny on my show, I did a whole lot of blathering just like this at the beginning, but I forgot to tell you who I was. And it will make some serious sense as to why I love words so much because it plays into what I do now. So drum roll, please. My current profession involves a lot of words. I am Emily Aborn. I'm host of this podcast. I'm a content writer who focuses on blogs, social media content banks, website copy, and pieces of client experience copy specifically for women entrepreneurs. I'm also the leader of the She Built This Women's Entrepreneurship Community, which is a free resource and a place to keep the conversations that we start on this podcast going strong and going deeper, really, so we can dive in into whatever piece of the conversation made us curious. Um, And now I also wanted to share the review of the week. And the reason I share these reviews is because A, they warm my heart so much and I want to share that heartwarming with you and B, I appreciate people writing the reviews so very much that I want to make sure that they get the spotlight shined back on them. So today I really want to thank Lindsay Wojcik who says, Emily consistently delivers strong and unique topics that benefit us as business owners. She has a natural, easygoing flow to her episodes and brings quality insight with valuable strategy. It's always a joy to tune in. Thank you so much to Lindsay for your amazingly kind review. I love having you tune in and appreciate you so much for being here. And if you listening have not yet written me a five-star review, I would welcome it with beyond open arms. Um, You do have to go to the Apple podcast app in order to write the review. It will not let you do it on Spotify or Stitcher or Podbean or any place else that you listen. Um, But I super duper appreciate that extra little step of effort. And if you can't do that, maybe you just share the podcast with somebody that you know who's a word nerd or a woman entrepreneur who you think would get a lot of value out of it. Um, one of my goals this year is to raise the roof with this podcast, and I definitely need your help to do it. Okay, and that's it. Look, we're not even a doing as much as I usually do because without further ado, I want to introduce you to this week's guest, Mignon Fogarty, who is a great reminder to me personally and to you, because I'm now sharing this information with you, that you should always go for it. Reach out to the person who you admire and who you want to connect with and make the ask. Like, even if you don't think it's possible that they will say yes to being on your show, Make the ask, because that is what brought Mignon Fogarty here today. I just simply reached out, said I love her podcast, said I want her on mine, and she said yes. Mignon Fogarty is better known as Grammar Girl. She is the five-time winner of Best Education Podcast in the Podcast Awards, an inductee in the Podcasting Hall of Fame, the founder of the Quick and Dirty Tips Podcast Network, and the former chair of Media Entrepreneurship in the Reynolds School of Journalism at the University of Nevada. She is the author of, get this, 
seven books about language, including the New York Times bestseller, Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing, which I will include in the show notes. Mignon has also appeared as a guest expert on The Oprah Winfrey Show and The Today Show. And I'm really, really excited for you to hear this conversation about how Mignon started the Grammar Girl podcast, how she got asked to fact check Oprah Winfrey's grammar, and a trick you will not forget, I don't think, about remember how to remember the difference between affect versus effect. So I hope you enjoy this episode and my guest, my conversation with Mignon as much as I did. Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who are on a mission to create the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and together we are inspiring, growing, and giving you the tools you need to bring ideas to life so you can build whatever this means for you. Mignon, and welcome to the She Built This podcast. Hi, Emily. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for being here. I hope I said your name right. I watched your video, but I still, you just never know with me what is going to come out when I, (laughs) from what I hear to what I actually say. You did. You did great. And it's so funny, you know, as a podcaster, I think I spent 30 minutes trying to figure out how to pronounce a guest's name on my show. And I was like, I need to put up a video because I'm sure people wonder about mine. So now I have a little link I can give people to just help. <laughs> That's very smart. I actually, um, I had a guest on one time and I, she kept saying her name properly and I still could not say it. Like it was very challenging <laughs> and embarrassing. Well, you know what's neat is actually LinkedIn just added that you can add the pronunciation of your name to your profile. And I think a lot of people don't know it's there yet. So let's give everyone a heads up that you can put that there and maybe sometimes find it there for people. You just gave us a pro tip like right out of the gate. Oh, I am all about the tips. <laughs> yes. Yes, you are. So speaking of, um, I love your podcast. I'm a loyal listener and I would love to hear a little bit more about your backstory, like how you became the grammar girl, how you got to where you are today, any messy middle details that you want to share. Um, I did read that you were on the Oprah Winfrey show in 2007 as the grammar expert. And I thought that was the coolest fact, probably one of the coolest facts uh, I've ever had from a guest. Thank you. Yeah. And that came about so serendipitously. It was, um, it was amazing. And it really speaks to the power of podcasting because, you know, someone wrote in correcting Oprah's grammar of all things. And the person who wrote in was wrong. Oprah was right. And so they, um, they have these um, response shows every you know quarter or so where they respond to some of the mail they get. And they wanted me to come on and essentially defend Oprah's grammar. Um, And the way that came about is because um, one of the producers, her sister listened to my podcast and they were talking and she said, well, if you're doing grammar, you need to get grammar girl. And then it turned out someone else on staff listened to the podcast. And so two podcast listeners on the staff made that happen. Your podcast must have exploded after that. You know, it's funny, not as much as you'd think, because that was really early days and people yeah. still didn't know what a podcast really was. They did a good job of, you know, promoting it. And we did, of course, we did see a bump. And um, the, I think the more exciting thing is that um, I had a book deal with uh, Macmillan at the time, but we didn't have a book out. And we were all thinking, man, you know, I'm going on Oprah and 
I don't have a book, <laughs> you know? And so we rushed out an audiobook based entirely on the podcast. We got an audiobook out in about a week, a one hour audiobook wow. that we were, and again, they didn't mention it on the show, but we were able it, to promote it. And we saw, definitely saw sales from that, you know, maybe even more so than the podcast because people, you know, from Oprah know more to look for books than podcasts um, at that time, way back then. So, um, and then because because it was such a revolutionary thing to get an audiobook out so fast, we got written up in the New York Times for that effort. So it really, um, you know, snowballed and, you know, continued to provide great um, PR. And you know, she, was, was, uh, she was like your golden goose. <laughs> it was. And then my, uh, like, if you want to call me like the luckiest person in the world, this was not planned at all. But when my first book did come out, it ran as a rerun that week. And so, oh my goodness, that also really helped. Yeah, <laughs> that is awesome. Good for you. Well, that must have been really an experience. I really, I really admire Oprah, and I think it would be like so crazy to be in her presence. It was surreal. It was terrifying, to be honest, but it was yeah. really <laughs> wonderful <laughs> in a terrifying way. <laughs> yeah. So, tell us a little bit about like your, you know, your backstory in how you started the podcast. I mean, that's a really early time to be podcasting, like you said, before podcasts were even cool. Um, and and what really led you to be the grammar expert that you are? Yeah, of course. Well, I have a degree in English, but I took you talked about the messy parts. I took this huge detour and ended up going to graduate school in biology. I was in a PhD program in biology at Stanford during sort of the dot com boom. So in Silicon Valley but I wasn't part of it for a while. And then um, I I got tempted away. So I dropped out of grad school and joined a series of startups in the late 90s and just had a blast. <laughs> but um, so I've always been really interested in technology. And I heard about this new thing called podcasting and just became intrigued by it. You know, I kept telling my dad about it. And he's like, will you just shut up about it and go do it? You know. <laughs> so um, I actually started a science podcast first. Um, I interviewed scientists. I, you know, fancied myself an independent science Friday, like is on NPR. And what I really found is that took about 20 hours a week of work. And, you know, I was freelancing at the time and, you know, time really is money when you're freelancing and it just didn't make sense as a hobby. And the market, you know, for advertising really hadn't come together then for podcasting. So, it certainly wasn't enough that I could support myself at the time. So I was looking for something easier to do because I'd fallen in love with just podcasting. You know, the yeah. feedback you get from listeners. I'd written magazine articles for years and you never hear from your readers, but you put out a podcast episode and you hear from all your listeners, which is fabulous. So I thought, you know, here I am. I'm a science writer and editor. I'm looking up all these rules every day for my own writing. What if I just put together a quick little quick and dirty tips podcast with how to use a semicolon or the difference between that and which, which I'm looking up for myself anyway. And so, you know, because I was already podcasting and this was such an easy, short show, I just, you know, put it together. I had three episodes up, you know, within two weeks of when I came up with the idea. And um, just much to my surprise, particularly because science and tech podcasts were the biggest things back then, my little grammar podcast rocketed up the charts. It got to number two at wow. iTunes, which it was, you know, not now Apple Podcasts. And, you know, then I, then I started getting coverage in the press like CNN and Reader's Digest, and it went all the way to number one. Um, and I kept thinking, this can't last. <laughs> but, you know, it kind of did. I mean, it's not... It, 
you know, I, because I'd been in Silicon Valley, I knew that with something that popular, I had a business and I founded the Quick and Dirty Tips podcast network, grew that to six shows, partnered with uh, Macmillan to grow it even more, um, wrote seven books, <laughs> um, you know. So just like just a few things here and there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know, I've been pretty busy. It's been my full time thing ever since. Well, I love that, you know, I think in your podcast, you do a really good job. Like you come across exactly how you do in your podcast. So you do a great job of creating that connection with your listeners. Um, and it's such a niche topic, but not right. Like it is such a, the, the way you do it and the way you segment it all out, it's all very niche. It's for like grammar nerds, people who love grammar, but it's also for people who just want to like improve their writing and improve the way that they are using the semicolon and the affect versus effect and the who versus whom. So I think that you really like, you really hit something magical in the way that you do it, but also in the actual like topic that it is. Yeah. It's so, it's important for everyone. Everyone writes, you know, everyone has to write email to their boss or their, even just their family. You know, we all want to present ourselves well, but I think that what makes it, what, what, what makes it good, what I love about it is I find these things really interesting. Like there are so many interesting things that you just don't, the average person doesn't know or think about language. And, and I love learning about it. I love sharing the interesting things I learn about it. Like I said, I'm all about the tips. If I have an interesting tip, like I want to tell everyone because it's either so cool or so useful. And I just love to share those things. And, and I feel so lucky to be able to do it on the podcast. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, this podcast is all about like kind of curiosity. And, and that's exactly what you're speaking to is that like you get to use your podcast to feed your curiosity muscle, which is what I do too. And I absolutely love that about it. It just like feeds that part of me and also shares that with other people. Um, speaking of curiosity, so you went to school for writing, you said yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and so that's one way that you know a lot about grammar. But as things keep on changing and shifting, like how do you stay informed on a regular basis to keep up with all the rules and all the changes and things like that? It is. It, it changes more than you would think. Um, you know, some things never change, like how to use a semicolon, but, um, you know, the singular they is vastly more acceptable than it was 10 years ago. When I started, I just updated, um, I'm in the process of updating some of my early books and we had to redo the entire um, chapter on the singular they to reflect, you know, modern thought on that. Um, so, I, you know, I, I have a great network of friends, you know, over the years, I've curated just wonderful lists on social media so that, you know, when people are posting about language, I usually see it. Um, and I have Google alerts set up for a variety of language terms. So if there's an article anywhere about you know, grammar or language, I, I usually see it. So, you know, I've, I've set up systems over the years to make sure that, that I hear about things and stay in touch with how people are thinking about language. Yeah, that's, that's smart. Um, here's a, here's an opinion question for you. Do you, do, are you one who says know the rules and then you can break them? Or are you kind of like, a rule follower when it comes to grammar. I've heard I've heard it go both ways. Yeah, I think it it depends entirely on your audience. I think it depends on what you're writing. Um, in fiction, you can 100% know the rules and then break them. Um, but 
some of the rules are real rules, like how to use a comma. Well, you know, I mean, there are even fiction authors who don't use commas the way we would. So you can really get away with almost anything in fiction. Although I think if you're trying to get published for the first time, it still really helps to follow the traditional grammar rules because editors are going to not be distracted as much. You know, yes, it's creative to maybe leave out the commas, but it, it, it could distract from your wonderful storytelling. So I, th- I think you're better served by following them, but like not everyone does. And some people are successful not doing that. If you're, if you're find the right editor who loves your work and loves that it's a little more unusual, that can work too. But, you know, if you're writing annual reports for a fortune 500 company, then you need to follow the rules. Like they're going to expect that. So it, I think it, it depends on your audience. I'm not nearly as much of a stickler as I was when I started, you know, 16 years ago, because, you know, back then I was very much a working editor and copywriter, especially, and that job is enforcing the rules. Um, But as I learn more and more about where the rules come from, you know, some of them, like, like the rule against splitting infinitives, like some guy just made that up. Like, like there's no, (laughs) there's no reason that rule exists. And even the guy who made it up didn't feel that strongly about it. So um, interesting. Yeah. So, you know, I've become less, less of a stickler than I used to be. He just woke up one day and he's like, I think I need to create a new grammar rule. (laughs) Um, You know, I feel the same way. I think that when it starts to get really distracting, it can feel like frustrating for me as a reader if somebody's, you know, using way too much creative license and breaking the rules. But I agree with you that, first of all, we need to make it sound like us. We need to make it our own if it's it's for that purpose, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But I look back to papers I used to write where I was like, they will be and like can not, you know, and I would separate all of the (laughs) things. And now it's like use a nice little apostrophe, Emily, to make a contraction. You can do it. Just push it together. (laughs) You know, I have a couple of friends who write fiction and they don't use quotation marks around the quote when their characters speak. I've seen that too. You know, it bugged me for the first five or 10 pages, but then I got used to it and it was fine. All right. How about when you are, I have, this is just like a personal kind of thing, but um, when you are out and about in the world, do you spot typos on things like menus and stuff like that? Or is typo spotting not really what you're on the prowl for? I really don't. It's not, I, I know a lot of people have fun with that. And if I see something really egregious, you know, I'll take a picture and post it on social, but it has to be really bad. I mean, really weird. You know, if it's just a regular typo, like those happen, who cares? Let's not shame people. Um, you know, but God, there was this one sign I saw, I don't remember what it said now, but it was on a fence. It was on a huge banner and none of the words had spaces between them. So it was like nearly impossible to read. And it didn't seem like it was on purpose. And I, I took a picture of that. I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. Th- those could be pretty fun for you to do on social media, like a montage of things that you see. Like there's a bathroom around here that is inshore instead of inshore, or sorry, it's inshore, like as if you were going to like buy insurance. Yeah. Make sure you shut the door. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't think that's right. <laughs> yeah. So, the, I mean, they can be fun, but I, you know, yeah. it's not like it's not like a great source of joy for me. <laughs> um. So you and I have this in common, and I definitely want to be sure to touch on it. You say you told me that um, entrepreneurship has been pretty much something that you've done most of your life. So tell me a little bit about that, and and I guess why. Yeah, I think it's very much a mindset. So my first little company when I was in 
college, my roommate and I, we made hair bows, like scrunchies that we sold to other girls at college. We made a, a demo board with samples and we went around and took orders. And, you know, that was sort of my like I was, I was really, I was really creative. I sort of came up with the designs and my roommate was the business person. And she like, you know, came up with how the, how we would do business. And, you know, we ended up going to a, a trade show and, and playing, displaying our things and, you know, and, you know, walking across campus and seeing someone wear a scrunchie I had designed and sold and saying like, that was mine. I did that. And now she's wearing it. That was such a rush. It was just amazing. And, you know, that was sort of my, my first, and I come from a very traditional family. You know, my, my dad worked at Boeing and my mom was a homemaker and, you know, I was not raised in an entrepreneurial family, but I think that taste of it just stuck with me my whole life. And then, you know, one of my, I did an internship with a, a, a student, a, a guy at school who had started his own company. He was a few years older than I was, but I think he was still a senior in college, but he had a little business consulting business and I worked for him and we wrote business plans for other companies. And, um, you know, then, then I was, you know, I took the detour to go to grad school in biology, but then, you know, I was lured back to, um, entrepreneurship. And I actually ended up leaving grad school to join a company that was founded by my roommate who I had done the scrunchies with. Um, oh, no way. Yeah. She was at the Stanford Business School at the time and dropped out to start a company with her um, boyfriend, then boyfriend, now husband, who was a developer. And so they were making um, um, travel and expense software for corporations. And I was their first employee and their first, um, you know, their marketing person. So, and then I joined a bunch of health and health and science startups. And, you know, then when those all imploded in the dot-com bust, I worked for myself as a freelancer, um, doing work for all the people who I had worked with at those health and science startups. They went and got corporate jobs and then hired me to do their uh, marketing communications at the biotech companies. So that's how sort of I fell into that world. And, and that was great. And I, again, I loved working for myself. Um, but I also loved trying new things. And so I, you know, started the podcasting on the side. And then when it, you know, just became so successful, I, that was obviously way more fun than writing about DNA sequencers. So <laughs> I did that. <laughs> I think that's one gift of entrepreneurship is it really like it takes the container uh, of what you can do and opens it wide. So you can just do anything and you can try different things. It's like your playground, right? right. Um, and so I'd I guess on that, with that being a positive, uh, what's something like you would give to somebody who's either thinking of starting a business or who's maybe been in business a little while, but doesn't have as much, as many years under their belt as you do, what is something you would say to somebody coming behind you? Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, I think that one thing I've learned is that nobody will care about your business as much as you do, or at least not in the way that you do. You know, I have fabulous partners, but I feel like at the end of the day, it's my responsibility to make sure that the things that I want to happen, happen. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's easy to think like I have all these great people working with me. Um, you know, they're going to, they're going to care about it as much as I do, but, but I, I think they just, they just don't, <laughs> you know, and that's not a bad thing. Like, you know, for them, it's a job and for you, it's your baby. So um, if you want something to happen, you really have to recognize that it's your responsibility to make it happen. And if you want it to happen, you have to take charge. 
Um, yeah. I, I think uh, the phrase is, and I'm sure you probably like know where this phrase comes from, but the buck stops here. <laughs> right. Right. And yeah. it's just, a, it's just different priorities, different perspectives, you know, uh, on the, on the thinking about it. I think the other thing, at least this, I don't think this will apply to everyone, but for a lot of people and for me, also, it's really easy to be distracted because you can do so many uh, different things. So it, it's really helpful to monthly or quarterly sit down and write out your goals. Your, what, what is your North Star? You know, it's, it, you know, it's very easy for me to be like, oh, I should be making Instagram reels and TikToks. And that's super fun. So <laughs> suddenly I'm spending five, eight hours a week doing those things that don't necessarily advance my bigger goals. Um, so I, I think that's a danger when you're in charge and you work for yourself is, is getting distracted by all the things you could do because you do have so much freedom. A danger and a good like reminder for all of us to really come back and ask ourselves like what matters and ask, ask ourselves just because I can doesn't mean <laughs> I should. Right. And like, when you're in charge, there's nobody saying like, maybe you shouldn't be spending your time that way. <laughs> right. Right. Um, all right. Was there ever a time that you did consider like throwing in the towel or giving up that you were just like, I can't do this anymore? Maybe it was stress. Maybe it was, I don't know, listener numbers were, weren't where you wanted them to be. Sure. Multiple times. <laughs> it's been 16 years. <laughs> um, there was a really big point back in um, like 2009. Um, I was I had partnered with Macmillan, but I was still running the day-to-day -day operations of the entire Quick and Dirty Tips Network, and it was just too much. And you know, I was writing books, I was editing everyone's scripts in the network. I, you know, I was I was in charge of essentially everything. Um, I had help, but it was I was still I was in charge of day-to-day -day operations, and I I was I was very very close to walking away just just walking away and we ended up um, renegotiating our partnership and at that point they took over day-to-day -day operations and I was able to focus just on Grammar Girl because Grammar Girl itself is a full-time job. Um, on the Grammar Girl podcast, which I'm going to make sure to include a link to for everyone to listen how do you find your guests? Like I noticed that you had an interview today with the founder of Schoolhouse Rock. Yeah. So how do you find your guests? And also how do you, well, you kind of talked about a little bit how, how you like generate your own content. It's just things that you find you're curious in. Yeah. Well, the guests, um, the Schoolhouse Rock was sort of a special case and we had to hunt hunt down those people. But um, normally my guests um, are often people who have a, a language related book coming out and they will come to me like wanting to be a guest on the show so that they can promote their book. Um, and then a lot of then, then there's a whole group, sort of group of guests who are essentially my friends. Um, <laughs> you know, I talked about, I get that <laughs> cultivating this great community of language people, you know, and through that, you know, I, I know a lot of the people who are doing really interesting things in language. And so when they have an interesting blog post, or I know they have a book coming out or something like that, even if they don't think of coming to me, I know to go to them and say like, look, you, you have this fascinating book coming out about language. Let's talk. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been great. Like the, um, uh, Randall Monroe, who does the XKCD comics came to us a few months ago and wanted to be a guest on the show. 
when he was launching his next book. And, you know, he does such interesting things with language, with the um, simple language um, book that he wrote. Um, it was called Upgoer 5, I think it was, Upgoer 12. Um, he wrote a whole book using only the thousand most common words in the English language. Oh my goodness. Fascinating. Yeah. And you know, it's not the primary thing people think about when they think of him, but it, it was just a really interesting thing to talk about. And same thing, like I, I just happened to know um, Brandon Sanderson, who's now like a mega best-selling um, fantasy author, but I knew him sort of before he became super big. <laughs> and so when his book came out, like we had him on and again, like he, he has all sorts of interesting things to say about language, even though he's primarily a, a fantasy writer. I love that. That's so fun. And and it's fun to bring that curiosity that you have to grammar and language to those guests too. Um, so let me ask you this. As a writer, as writers, and a lot of the people listening, they have to write for their businesses in one way or another. Mm-hmm. So how do you, what role do you feel that, this curiosity plays in how we approach writing in general, but also how other people are uh, taking in our writing. So maybe getting, maybe kind of peaking a little bit of an interest on the other side about what we are writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always try to keep my audience in mind in, in the, who is your audience? What do they need to get from what you're writing? And often just taking the step back um, and asking that, it's so easy to fire off an email. I'm actually working on a new course for LinkedIn Learning about writing better email. So that's on my mind. So that's what I'll bring it around to. Um, you know, this morning, for example, I was writing an email to the um, Quick and Dirty Tips team at Macmillan. And I had like just jotted down all my ideas and thoughts. And and then I thought, this is a mess, <laughs> right? They're going to get this. And I'm making them read through all these paragraphs. And, you know, what are the action items? What what are the main points? And so I went back and I, you know, redid the little opening paragraph. So, so, so first, get all your ideas down because you do need to do that. And that's just sort of free form writing. But then go back and say, okay, my audience, how are they going to receive this email? How are they going to view this information? You know, so in the, in the opening paragraph, I'm like, here's what I am writing you about. There's some action items below. And then I put everyone's name in bold by the specific things that related to them. And then, then I indented the action items. So they were really clear and, and then wrote like a, and redid the bottom paragraph. So it's a good summary paragraph saying like, okay, big picture, this is why we're doing all this. Um, and it, I think we might be the same person. <laughs> I'm like, I think I organized my emails exactly like that. You know, I, I think that before I wrote this course, I didn't do that very often. But now that that I'm like, you know, yeah, you this is how you are considerate of your audience and make your writing the most understandable and actionable for people. To your, I, I love that about the color coordinating it for each person because um, that's something that I do actually do. And I, and I find it really helps people. And also sometimes they will reply and they'll reply like in another color underneath, you know, so you can see what the, what the exact reply is to what you exactly wrote before. And I really like that. Like, it's just like, ah, oh, cause email can get so, 
you know, there's so many back and forths and you have to reference back this email and that email and scroll up and scroll down. So it's really nice to have it all in one place. So yeah. And it doesn't, that is a skill. That is a skill. It really doesn't take much extra time. If any, it's just being more deliberate. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so I think that if, if I had to summarize it and don't let me put words in your mouth. So if we approach it in thinking, first of all, in getting out all of our ideas, messy, high level, and then we approach it like, okay, now how are they going to perceive this on the other side? That's how we can really like start to invoke some of that curiosity in what we're writing. Absolutely. And, you know, even just thinking about social media, every month or so I go through my, what I have posted and ask, would I follow me? Am I interesting? <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, I, I think it's easy to lose sight of that because you're just posting one thing at a time. But when you, when you look at it as a whole, you're like, you know, is this what I want to be presenting to the world? Am I someone I would follow? Am I someone worth following? That is such a great question to ask ourselves. I love that. I wrote it down as your quote from the episode. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> um, all right. I'm sure that there are a lot of things that get under your skin, like grammatically speaking, but can you think of your biggest pet peeve or the worst? Sure. I mean, not much really these days. It, it, I just can't let it bother me. But um, if there's more one thing that I do notice, it's when um, people capitalize nouns when they shouldn't. Um, you see it a lot in business writing, you know, because I don't know, people want to make words seem important. So they'll say like, our salespeople, capital S, won an award, capital award, you know, last week. And, and like, we don't capitalize those words in English. <laughs> so that always kind of bugs me. Oh, I was going to ask you your thoughts on, oh, capitalizing the seasons. That's probably a no-no in your book. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't capitalize the seasons unless they're part of a, like you capitalize winter and winter Olympics because it's the name of an event. Right. But if you're saying like, oh, this winter's been tough. Nope, not capitalized. See, that's one that I know the rule, but I just like it being capitalized. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> so I'm like, I always capitalize spring, summer, winter, fall. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> but I know that I shouldn't, so. There's that. Um, okay. And then what's like a tip that people listening, in addition to listening to your podcast, which like I said, is going to be linked, but a tip that can help people to start improving their grammar or writing right away, uh, or maybe something that you recommend or love for helping to avoid make typos in people's work. One or the other or both. Well, avoiding, well, finding typos. Here's my favorite thing for finding typos is you just feed your work. There are all sorts of websites that will read your um, text to you. Um, and I think Microsoft Word even does it inside Word. Um, and I always, always find typos when I, when I have it read it back to me. And not only does that help you find just a misspelled word or a, it's always like a missing preposition, you know, the, the, those are so hard to find. And then, but also in addition to finding the typos, you'll hear your writing you'll hear the rhythm and sometimes it just sounds awkward and you can fix it and and you didn't notice when you were writing it but then when you're listening to it you're like oh this sentence is kind of awkward I can fix that so that's one of my best tips for improving your writing both for finding typos and just improving the flow of your sentences and paragraphs that's a really good tip uh, I started reading my emails to people at the beginning of last year. And I noticed things very quickly yeah. <laughs> when I read them, because you're right. It's so much different than when we're just like glazed over half looking at it. 
Right. And, you know, I first I first noticed it as a podcaster reading my scripts. And then I thought, well, I can do this for all my writing with these great websites. Yeah, that's a great tip. Um, and then what's your tip for helping people to improve, like, grammatically? If somebody, maybe English is not their first language, um, or maybe they just know that their grammar is terrible and they want it to be a little bit better so that they can present better. Well, I, I can think of two things. So um, first, I, I, ha- I do have these great LinkedIn learning courses that are just the basics. They're, they're each about 45 minutes long and they're broken up into two and three minute videos. So if you search LinkedIn learning for Grammar Girl, you know, quick and dirty tips for better writing is like my 17 best tips. And then I have commonly confused words and punctuation. And they really are like the best tips I have. But, um, you know, and often you can get them free. They have like a free trial and they're available free through um, often through university libraries and county libraries in the United States. So you you can get them through the paid LinkedIn learning, but they're really easy to get free, too. And then um, the other thing, like when like the in practice thing is when you're writing and you aren't sure about a rule, I think we all just write around it. Right. Like you're like, I'm not sure whether to use affect or effect, so I'll just use a different word. (laughs) But when you encounter those things, instead, look up what you don't know and 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 you will slowly accumulate the knowledge of the things that are actually causing you trouble in your own writing. Um, You know, so you're not wasting time learning about things that maybe aren't coming up in your own writing, but you're learning like, what are the problems I have in my writing? So just do that. So good. And then it's really like concreting that, like why it, why it is the way that it is. And then it can help you just uh, do that over and over and over again. Right. So, I mean, sometimes you're in a hurry, but if you have the extra, you know, three to five minutes, it doesn't take that long to just do a quick search and, you know, you know, semicolon or comma after the word, however, you know, or something like that. I have looked up affect and effect like probably six million times and I still don't know. (laughs) That one really frustrates me. Uh, I'm like. (laughs) uh, Maybe I can fix that for you. Okay. um, um, Effect with an E is usually a noun and affect with an A is usually a verb. And think of a raven, big black raven, just a big black bird because raven has the letters A, V, E, N in it, which stands for affect verb effect noun. Okay. I will remember that. I hope. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Maybe or N, affect verb effect noun. Um, thank you for that. And how would you like people to find and connect with you online if they like what they hear and they want to find out more? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously look for my podcast first. That's Grammar Girl and you can find it anywhere you find podcasts. And then I think online, probably the best place to find me these days is on LinkedIn. So you can search. I have a Grammar Girl group where we post, you know, official Grammar Girl stuff like links to the podcast. And then I'm also on there um, as Mignon Fogarty as an individual. So if you're interested in catching up with me, you know, sort of that way, then you can find me also on LinkedIn. So perfect. I will make sure that all that's in the show notes. And I I think I want to join your group. So that sounds great. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I guess I also have an email newsletter you can sign up for at quickanddirtytips.com. Okay. Thank you so much, Mignon. This was fun. You're welcome. Thank you, Emily. This has been really fun. 
To learn more about She Built This and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.